In this episode, I'm going to tell you literally everything you need to know about Tyr in Norse mythology, from his encounter with Fenrir to his death at Ragnarok, and the surprising ways that the God of War developers used his story to tell their own. What is up, mere mortals? My name is John Solo. This is the Messed Up Origins podcast, and in my opinion, God of War Ragnarok contains the greatest story ever told in a video game. I could ramble on for hours about the beautifully written characters, their exploration of family trauma at every level, and the genius that went into using real figures and events from Norse mythology as a vehicle for these themes. The good news is, I have a job that allows me to ramble about this stuff for hours, and I plan on taking full advantage, so if you want to spend the next few months learning about the real Norse myths that inspired this masterpiece of a game, be sure to sacrifice the subscribe button to the algorithm gods. Also, huge spoilers ahead for those who haven't finished the game yet. Like, truly massive spoilers, so proceed at your own risk. Now, I think I speak for all of us when I say I was initially a little disappointed in how Tyr was utilized in this game's story. I knew they were putting a creative spin on him by making the Norse god of war a pacifist, but I was expecting him to exude more Athena-type vibes, to be wise and justice-oriented and avoid fighting unless absolutely necessary. Instead, he literally cowered in a corner while Kratos and Atreus fought for their lives. If Odin starts Ragnarok, you really wouldn't fight? Not even if I wished to. I'll admit that when I got to the plot twist and it was revealed that the tear we rescued was actually Odin in disguise, his pussyfoot attitude made a lot more sense. But then I was disappointed for a whole different reason. Because in actual Norse mythology, Tyr was a total badass. Admittedly, we only have a few stories about him, but without a doubt, he's one of the bravest of the Aesir. And in the game, we don't get to see that side of him at all. Even if you go to Niflheim and rescue the real Tyr after the game ends, he still doesn't do anything special or particularly interesting. Kratos. I know you from somewhere. All that being said, when you take a closer look at the game's story and the Norse mythos, you'll find some truly interesting and creative ways that they incorporated the myths, legends, and theories about Tyr into this portrayal. In this episode, I'm going to tell you literally everything you need to know about Tyr in Norse mythology, from his encounter with Fenrir to his death at Ragnarok, and the surprising ways that the God of War developers used his story to tell their own. Chapter 1. The Norse God of War So to those of you who are new to the world of Norse mythology, you should know that we are surprisingly limited in our understanding of it, and that's largely a result of its practitioners choosing to pass on its values, myths, and beliefs verbally instead of writing them down. Well, that and the Christian church deliberately seeking out and destroying any remnants of this religion that they could. Lucky for us, there were a few written works that survived the wanton destruction and made it past the church authorities who controlled and censored everything that was published in shared with the world, and we're using two of those works today. The Prosetta, written by the Icelandic poet and politician Snorri Sturluson around 1220 CE, and the Poetic Edda, written by a bunch of nameless, faceless poets who we pagans owe our infinite gratitude. Now, unfortunately, there isn't as much written about Tyr as there is gods like Freya, Odin, and Thor. That being said, the information that we do have portrays Tyr as a fearless warrior and a supporter of warriors in Midgard. For example, in the chapter titled The Gilfaginning, the king named High, who's really Odin in disguise, describes Tyr as daring and stout-hearted, 
and says he sways victory in war, where warriors should call on him. We're told that a brave person who never yields is tier strong, and a wise person is tier learned. He also mentions the incident with Fenrir as a sign of Tyr's bravery, and describes the god's death at Ragnarok, but more on that later. Describing Tyr as both brave and wise is pretty in line with his video game counterpart, or at least what we were told about him in the first game. For those who need a refresher, in the game's universe, Tyr was a peacemaker who traveled throughout the realms hoping to learn about other cultures and gain new perspectives, because he believed it was the only way of achieving true peace. He even went so far as to order and oversee the construction of a temple that would allow for easier traveling between the nine realms, therefore easing communications between all of its residents and allowing them to support each other like never before. As I alluded to earlier, the game's version of Tyr is somewhat reminiscent of Athena, who was the Greek goddess of war but focused more on the domains of wisdom and strategy. It was Athena's brother, Ares, who presided over the more violent aspects of war, bloodlust and battle frenzy, two domains that video game Tyr sought to avoid at all costs. It's hard to say where the Tyr of myth falls on this spectrum, but to me, it seems like he's right in the middle and could either be called upon by a wise general who's trying out a risky maneuver or a soldier whose only concern is separating his enemies' heads from their bodies until there's no more enemies left. Back to the game, Tyr's approach to peace and genuine kindness led to him being loved and respected by the inhabitants of all realms. In this adoration that he received became a big concern for his father Odin, the self-appointed ruler of the Nine Realms, who sought to eliminate any potential threat to his power and hoard every bit of knowledge for himself. As a result, when Tyr tried to arrange a peace treaty between the giants in Jotunheim and the Aesir gods, Odin attempted to seize this opportunity where his enemy's guard was down to try and steal their wisdom and magic. But as much as the giants trusted Tyr, they anticipated this kind of mischief from Odin, so they banished him from Jotunheim and hid the entrance to their realm deep among the branches of Yggdrasil, the World Tree, also known as the World Between Worlds. Furious at his own failure, but refusing to take responsibility for it, Odin ordered his son Thor, the god of thunder, to hunt down and execute every giant he could find in Midgard. Meanwhile, he imprisoned his more peaceful son Tyr after correctly suspecting him of assembling a rebellion among the giants and other realms. Now, this is where God of War Ragnarok's writers deserve some serious praise for their use of real Norse mythology, as well as the theories surrounding Tyr. They seamlessly wove what academics have been hypothesizing about the god into the game's story and they somehow managed to incorporate Kratos' godhood without forcing it. Truly an impressive feat. Chapter 2, An Ancient God For me to elaborate further, we first have to discuss the most popular theory about Tyr in Norse mythology, that he may have actually been the ruler of the Aesir before Odin rose to power. I know, I'm sure at least one person's eyes rolled back in their head when I said that, because if you actually read the Prose Edda and Poetic Edda, they paint a very clear picture that Odin is the man in charge. His title is the Allfather. He and his two brothers are solely responsible for building our world out of the blood and guts of a primordial giant they slaughtered, and there's more myths featuring him than just about any other Aesir god. There's no room for debate that in these texts, he is the king 
but that doesn't mean that's always been the case. It's also worth pointing out that if one looks at our archeological findings, there's basically no evidence that Tyr was worshiped as a supreme god. At risk of repeating myself, we don't have much evidence of any Norse religious practices, but we have dug up a number of Mjolnir amulets, which indicate that Thor was highly worshiped, and we don't have an equivalent of that for our boy Tyr. In fact, the only Norse text that mentions a religious practice related to Tyr is the poem Sigurdrifumal, which can be found in the Poetic Edda. In the poem, the Valkyrie Sigurdrifa gives the hero Sigurd knowledge of various runic charms, one of which invokes Tyr. The line reads, you should carve victory runes if you want to have victory. Carve some on the hilt of your sword, carve some on the middle of the blade also, some elsewhere on the sword, and name Tyr twice. But curiously, we haven't dug up many swords that have his name, which is the namesake of the T rune carved into them. Sidebar, Tyr's name is also where we get the term Tuesday or Tears Day, similar to how Wednesday is Woden or Odin's Day, and Thursday is Thor's Day. The more you know. So if there's no physical evidence, where does this theory about the artist formerly known as King Tyr come from? Well, the entire thing hinges on one peculiar detail, the true meaning of his name. According to Hermann Reichert, a doctor of language evolution who specializes in Germanic studies, Tyr can literally be translated to God, signifying that he was pretty important and potentially the main god. In addition to that, his name appears to have evolved from the same ancestral word as Zeus or Jupiter. That ancestral word is Deus, which is the reconstructed name of the chief deity in Proto-Indo-European mythology who personified the sky, meaning that Tyr may have once been considered the sky father and ruler of his pantheon, similar to Zeus and Jupiter in Greco-Roman mythology. So how does all this fit into the God of War universe? Well, as I mentioned, after Odin realized that Tyr was becoming way too popular across the realms, the Allfather started to worry about his own position in the hierarchy. So he locked up his son and spread a rumor that he died to stop these societies from being inspired to rebel. Following this thread of logic, I believe that Odin was also worried about Tyr taking his place as the chief god. In other words, it's a reversal of the theory that's been proposed by scholars. Admittedly, I don't recall there being any mention of Tyr becoming the ruler of the Nine Realms in the way that Odin is, nor do I think he would have wanted that. However, with Kratos essentially filling the role that Tyr's absence created and becoming the general of the Eight Realm Rebellion, as well as the mural indicating that he's on the path to becoming worshipped as the Supreme God, I can't help but think that this is the path that Tyr would have taken had Odin not caught onto his plans and imprisoned him. Again, it's just a theory of mine, but considering how prominent this theory about Tyr once being the chief god is among academics and Norse mythology fanatics, I can't help but think they would have incorporated that into their story. That being said, they did leave out a lot of the myths featuring Tyr, but don't you worry about that because we're about to dive into them. First though, I want to say thanks to the sponsors who made this episode possible, our friends at Raycon. With holidays like Christmas being right around the corner, we've officially entered the season of giving. And as exciting as it is that we're about to get a whole bunch of new stuff, it's always stressful trying to find the perfect gifts for everyone on our list. That's where today's sponsor Raycon comes in with their premium audio products. 
Bluetooths. They have wireless earbuds, headphones, and speakers that all sport some crazy high quality sound with a genuinely reasonable price tag, starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. Even better, they're doing a countdown to Christmas with a new pop-up flash deal for you to take advantage of every single day. I know, it's a Christmas miracle. The great thing about speakers and earphones like Raycons is that anyone you gift them to will find a way to use them right away. Whether it's your significant other needing some new earbuds for their workouts, dad wanting something to listen to in his workshop, or your mom listening to an audiobook while preparing the holiday feast. I personally reserve my everyday earbuds for the gym. Their almost custom fit means they're super comfortable and never fall out, so they block out all the distracting noise so I can focus on my gains. And with their wireless charge case storing up to 32 hours of battery life, I rarely have to worry about charging them. You can find Raycon products in stores like Kohl's and Walmart, but if you want the best deal, you've got to go to buyraycon.com solo. If you do that, you'll get 15% off site-wide with code HOLIDAY plus free shipping. That's code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com solo for 15% off your Raycon purchase and free shipping. Chapter 3. The Myths Without a doubt, the most significant and complete myth that we have about Tyr is his encounter with the wolf Fenrir. The reason I say it's the most significant is that because almost every time Tyr is mentioned in a poem or story in the Eddas, they also reference Fenrir and the damage he did to the god. The myth containing their encounter is found about halfway through the Gilfaginning chapter of the Prozetta and focuses on Loki's children with the giantess Angerbotha. From youngest to oldest, there's their daughter Hel, their son Jormungandr, the world serpent, and finally their son Fenrir. Now, I really love the creative spin that God of War Ragnarok put on Loki and Angerbotha's relationship. There is obviously some sparks flying between them, but both characters were way too young to actually have children without appearing on MTV. So to work around this, they had Loki put the soul of a giant into a soulless snake that was in Grela's house using magic that Agarboda taught him. So in a way, they blessed it with life like a parent would. In this same vein, when Kratos and Loki find that Garmer, the realm-tearing wolf from Helheim, can't be killed permanently, Loki inserts the soul of his recently deceased good boy, Fenrir, into the beast. Then, at the end of the game, we see Loki, Fenrir, and Angerboda gathered together like a happy little family. Unfortunately, they don't get the same happy ending in the mythology. In this version, Odin knows full well that Loki's children are going to cause some serious problems at Ragnarok, so he tries to get rid of them. He orders for Jormungandr to be thrown in the ocean, for Hel to be given her own palace in Niflheim where she would rule over the souls of the dead who don't go to Valhalla, and for Fenrir to be bound in unbreakable chains. Now Fenrir wasn't restrained right away. It seems that the Aesir somewhat enjoyed the puppy's presence until he started to grow big and intimidating. At that point, the only god brave enough to feed him was Tyr, and this bravery would go on to cost him. See, there were three attempts to keep Fenrir bound. The first two times, he broke out of the mighty chains with concerning ease, so the gods reached out to some dwarves in Svartalfheim for some help. These dwarves then delivered a restraint of unusual design. It was thin and smooth like a silk ribbon and made from the most rare ingredients. The footfall of cats, the beard of a woman, the roots of a mountain, the sinews of a bear, the breath of the fish, and the spittle of birds. In other words, elements that don't usually exist in nature. 
But when they presented Fenrir with the silk ribbon known as Glepnir, he realized there was something sus about this situation. He had already broken out of strong, heavy chains twice before, and now he was being challenged to break a ribbon. It didn't make any sense. But the Aesir mocking Fenrir for his cowardice went right to his ego, and wanting to prove himself, he said that he would allow for the ribbon to be put on him, but only if one of the Aesir put their hand in his mouth as assurance that there wasn't going to be any shenanigans. As you might expect, the majority of the Aesir were far too scared or selfish to step up, but not Tyr, who put his right hand between Fenrir's teeth without saying a word. To Fenrir's frustration, he found that he couldn't break the ribbon once it was on him. Not only that, but the more he tried, the tighter and stronger it became. And Snorri says that the Aesir quite enjoyed watching him struggle, and that, quote, they all laughed except for Tyr. He lost his hand. As much pain as that caused him, though, he didn't even flinch. And now Fenrir was trapped in his binds until Ragnarok. Now, considering how famous this myth is, I was truly surprised they didn't find a way to bring it into the game's story. But I did some digging into God of War lore, and it turns out their version of Tyr did pull something similar with Garm, the wolf that guards the gates of Helheim. Apparently, Garm had grown so large that he was eating parts of Midgard, and Tyr took it upon himself to lure the wolf into Helheim by letting him gnaw on his arm. Then, he chained him up while he was still distracted. After Garm realized he'd been tricked, he furiously bit off Tyr's arm, but the god was able to grow it back, so that's why he's not scarred up from the encounter like the Tyr from Myth was. The way we know that Myth Tyr never recovered from his injury is because of a poem called Lokasena, where Loki gets pissed drunk and proceeds to roast all of the Aesir gods. The trickster insults a god named Njorth by saying that the daughters of Hymir, a giant that we'll learn more about in a minute, he said that the daughters of Hymir used his mouth as a urinal and that he's tasted plenty of piss, yummy, and that he had two children with his sister, Frey and Freya. Upon hearing this, Tyr jumps in to defend Frey by saying, he's the best of all the gods in the holy halls of Asgard. He doesn't make girls weep nor cause trouble for women. He frees captives from their chains, which shows you the qualities that Tyr valued the most. Loki has a response of his own though. He says, silence Tyr, you don't know how to settle disputes between men. I'm thinking of your right hand, which Fenrir, my son, bit off. Then Tyr raises a good counterpoint, saying, I lost that hand, you lost that son. We both suffered a loss. Your son isn't doing well either. He remains forever in chains, waiting for Ragnarok. But Loki isn't one to let someone else get the last word, so he says something truly heinous. Don't you know your own wife had a son by me? You poor fool, I'll never pay you a penny in compensation for that. And then Loki continues to roast the other gods until Thor returns from hunting giants and kicks him out. Now, when it comes to the giant that Loki mentioned, Hymir, there's a poem that we've talked about in previous episodes called Hymiskvitha, where we learn that Hymir is Tyr's father. In this poem, the Aesir gods all go to the Jotun Aegir's house and tell him to make them some beer. But Aegir says he doesn't have a big enough cauldron, and Tyr replies that he can borrow a massive cauldron from his father, Hymir. This bit is a little confusing because there's a section of the Prozetta called Skaldskiparmal that refers to Tyr as the son of Odin. So which is it? Well, hold on to your arm rings because it's possible that they both are. Some scholars think that Odin was Tyr's birth father while Hymir was his foster father 
a relationship that would have had a lot of significance in Norse society. But what about his mother, you ask? Well, in the God of War game, they say in passing that she was a giantess named Hrother, but none of our Norse texts specifically say. The developers pulled the name Hrother from the Heimskvida poem. There's a translation where Heimir's concubine describes Thor as the foeman of Hrother, and some scholars theorize that Hrother was Tyr's mother but nothing is really known about the character. Even more strange, in Jackson Crawford's translation of the poem, the line describes Thor as our famous enemy, the friend of humans, instead of the foeman of Hroth, and the name Hroth isn't mentioned anywhere else in the book. Just goes to show why there's so much mystery surrounding Norse mythology. We can't even all agree on how to translate it, which leaves a ton of room for guesswork and personal interpretations. If you want to hear the Heimskvida poem in its entirety, I recommend you watch my episode on the messed up origins of Jormungandr. But as for this episode, it's time for us to discuss Tyr's death at Ragnarok. Now in the game, Tyr doesn't actually die. As I mentioned before, Odin imprisoned his son in Asgard and kept him alive so he could assume his appearance. Even after Ragnarok, he can be seen wandering around Niflheim and the other realms just pondering life. But Tyr in myth isn't so lucky. We're told that he's going to be killed by the most evil creature, the wolf named Garm. The two will have a battle and be the death of each other. Kinda reminds you of Odin's death by Fenrir, doesn't it? That's actually another point for the argument that Odin must have taken Tyr's place as chief god at some point. Not only are he and Tyr both killed by wolves at Ragnarok, but both of these wolves are said to be locked up until Ragnarok arrives, leading for some scholars to consider that Garmer and Fenrir may have once been the same wolf. But even though I think the idea of Odin usurping Tyr is a fun theory, I do want to emphasize that it is just a theory, and if it is true, it raises more questions than answers. But hey, if you enjoyed this episode, learned a little something, and want more God of War content sent to your sub box, make sure to subscribe and turn notifications on. Also, if you want to experience the God of War Ragnarok story alongside me, check out my past live streams. The link to the playlist is in the description and the pinned comment. I'll see you all again next week when we explore the mythology of some more God of War characters. That's your only hint. Until then, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Thank you.